I don't consider myself an expert in pedagogy. I don't know, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Pedagogy? Mm-hmm. But it's pedagog, 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 but pedagogy. Um, I myself have four children. My wife and I have four children. So um, advanced amateur, right? And I, well, I also think that my kid, my oldest kid, is six. So I have a certain perspective uh, about parenting because of you know the you know, the nature, the makeup of the family that we have. Uh, and obviously, that I'm sure that's going to change. That's going to evolve when you have different ages, you know, in children. So different challenges and different aspects of parenting that come up and I'm sure that what my perspective that it is right now will change um, but I want to clarify that I don't consider myself an expert I want to say who is this guy let's see his kids let's see how well they behave <laughs> bring here you should have brought your kids here who you know how, 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 how do you consider yourself an authority so I don't uh, so what material did I use to um, uh, to, to uh, collect for this information it's not really uh, so much what you know the way I parent even though I, I do think that I do model my parent my parenting after the principles that we're going to talk about today but more specifically it comes from the way um, my parents parented um, me and obviously as you could all see my parents did a very a fairly decent job um, maybe even we could say stellar uh, 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 but I'm one of nine children and um I think my parents actually did a pretty good job in all seriousness. Um, and I come from a, a long f- uh, history, uh, family history of, of pedagogues. You know, my grandfather was a renowned, uh, in this in this field, in the field of, 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 ch- of education, spe- specifically children, young children, adolescents, but even educating yourself. You know, he wrote the, the um, definitive book on the Torah's perspective of... Educating oneself, like how do you train yourself to do X, Y, or Z, or to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve? So, uh, and he was um, for many years head in many institutions uh, in Europe, in uh, then in, in Israel after the war. Uh, his father was also in education in Berlin. Uh, so, so that's my perspective. So, what I'm going to try to do is give what I think are the ten. Commandments or the ten most critical principles of parenting, uh, based upon what I learned from my uh, my parents, my grand, my grandfather, more uh, mostly my grandfather, uh, but also what the Torah says, and we'll try to you know, shed some light on you know the Torah's instructions and uh, guidance uh, in, in that they give to parents, and um, see you know try to obviously extrapolate it for you know for, for modern times. Um, before we get started, I think it's also important to, to mention that depending on what you want the goal to look like, that is what, you know, the efforts that you're going to do to achieve that goal will be directed towards that goal. And what I mean by that is if you want your child to be, I don't know, a, a gymnast, right, you probably would send them to, uh, like, that would be something that you would do. Uh, you you would try to direct your educational activities towards him being him or her being a gymnast. Uh, you know, if you want them to be a mathematician, whatever whatever the goal is, that's going to determine what you're going to do to achieve that goal. So, therefore, when we say about parenting, uh, it can mean uh, it can mean different things to different parents and the different goals that they set for their children. 
what I'm going to be talking about today is very general principles. So the principles, some of them are strategies, some of them are tactics, uh, but the principles, some of them are universal. So like you want to have a child be anything, you'll have to use these rules, uh, but some of them are more specific. So uh, I'm, uh, the child that we're going to try to mold today is going to be, number one, uh, we're going to try to have him have good character. You know, we want to be a mensch. We want him to, you know, t- to be someone who's independent, someone who has, is, you know, is responsible, someone, uh, but also someone who uh, has Jewish values. And how do we impart, uh, uh, you know, that part of our lives and our heritage in our children? That's also going to be something which is important. Like, um, obviously, if someone here, or not someone here, but if some this 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 particular part of the talk would not be pertinent to someone who does not who's not Jewish, right? So, but they'll have to. You know, if someone wants their child to be any religion or any ideology or any values that you want to integrate your child, that's also part of the uh, of the parenting efforts that you have to do. Okay, how's everyone doing? I need to hear some feedback. Nice to see some new faces here, also. Okay, shall we start? Yeah, if I could get everyone's name, it'll be nice. Yeah, we, uh, for whatever reason, I just haven't been, uh, we usually have a sign-in sheet that uh, yeah, Amy at the office prepares, but I've been negligent. Um, okay, let's start with number one. What's the first, most, is more, most important, but what's the first? Thou shall parent. Now, wait a minute. What does that mean? Thou shalt parent. How is that one of the? Uh, how is that one of the uh, Ten Commandments? So I think it's important for us to realize that whatever it is that we want to achieve in our parenting goals, we have to do it. We have to teach our children how to act, how to live, how to you know how to behave. These are things that we cannot assume will happen on their own. We can't assume that, oh, society will teach them, their siblings will teach them, the neighborhood, school. This is our responsibility. As a parent, right, you are obligated, you have responsibilities towards your child to educate them. You can't just assume it will happen on its own. In fact, if in all likelihood, if you let a child just, you know, w- you know without any monitoring, without being actively involved in their education... Uh, you know, in their development, most probably the results won't be that uh, uh, that remarkable. Probably not, right? because parenting means right, the most. The, the baseline of it is that you have to be active, you have to be involved, you have to be on top of your child. You have to parent. You cannot expect this to you know to happen on its own. Uh, we're told, we're told in the Torah. The Torah tells us that. A parent has a certain set of responsibilities uh, to their child. You know, the, if I am going to bring a child into this world, I am taking on responsibilities to take care of that child. Obviously, to take care of them uh, physically, emotionally, financially. You know, the, I have to pay for it, right? A parent can't say, "Oh, <laughs> what do you mean? You're on your own, right?" You can't do that, obviously. But uh, you know, that's in a very specific area of life. But in everything, right? By 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 having a child to have responsibilities. So, what are these responsibilities they have? So the Talmud gives us a very interesting insight. It says, number one, I have to circumcise him. What does that mean? Obviously, we know that there's a mitzvah. The very first mitzvah that a child does uh, is 
you know, they need to be circumcised. Who does? Who, who's responsible? That the parent. Now, why is it? it say, why does? Why does it tell us the mitzvah of circumcision, not the mitzvah of I don't know, reading for the Torah or any or eating matzah or something like that? There's other mitzvahs. Right? Also, oh, you could say that it's a very, it's a very important mitzvah. Uh, it's, you know, it's that's. No, that's what it says. The what? It says that the child shall be circumcised on the seventh day, and that, that is the covenant day, and that it's the covenant. So you're saying that the reason why uh, circumcision was specifically mentioned is because it's very important, right? It's crucial. It's fundamental. Is that what you're saying? It's for a boy. Um, but. Uh, you know, but clearly other mitzvahs as well, right? You have to teach a child that to eat matzah or whatever, whatever, whatever. So yes, so I think I. So you're saying it's the first mitzvah that the child's going to do. So I, I, I think that uh, that your point um, is. It's an infant. You can't really do too much with it in a week. No, but I think I, I think I think that what you're what you're shedding light is on. When, when the Talmud is telling us we have to circumcise our child, what it's really telling us, we have to do, obviously, we have to teach our children about all the mitzvahs, but we have to start from day one. We can't say, oh, you know what? I'll wait till my child is 15 or 20, uh, and I'll, then I'll teach them all about Judaism and about our heritage and about, you know, about what's important to us, what are the values that we have from our, you know, from our religion. I have to start from day one. Right? Circumcision, which is the very first mitzvah, it's the first week of the child's life, already then I'm starting. So obviously, in in practical life, it's not so practical. But, you know, a child gets a little bit older, but a child's two years old. The child should know, you know, know that we, you know, we're Jewish. We're proud to be Jews. We have something very special. We have a great contribution that we've given to society. Right? Give them a little bit of Jewish pride, a little bit of Jewish meaning, and 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 and, and uh, constantly being uh, nurturing their, you know, their, you know, their Jewish vibrancy. So we have to circumcise a child. We have to teach him Torah. Obviously, Torah is including uh, teaching him Torah is, is encapsulating everything that the you know the values of, of Judaism. It, it's that you know that's the one uh, header for everything. Right? We we have to be in charge of educating our children uh, in in areas of faith, in areas of of religion, and 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 you know Jewish values. Now, this I found interesting. We have to marry off our child. We have to marry off our child. So find them a spouse. Now, wait a minute. I was, I was thinking, wait a minute. Um, our children are getting married. I don't know, what's the average age of, of a first marriage in America? Probably 25, 27, something like that. They're kind of a little bit out of, you know, out of your... They're out of your domain. Like, they're on their own. Like... What could the Talmud mean for us today when it's telling us that we're, as parents, our responsibilities extend to finding a spouse? Could it mean that part of our responsibility as a parent to make our children self-sufficient and make that part of the goal so they... More social. Well, it's the one decision that your child will make. I'm not in charge of my kids' procreation. No, but...
Okay, and Janet, you were saying? You were saying? I forget what I was saying. Um, I think that what you're saying uh, is, is certainly one element of it, that yes, that even as a child, you know, even though a child is older, uh, they should still have a warm relationship and you should still be, you should, you should still be involved. Uh, but I also think there's, there's legitimacy to saying that the way or the direction that the child is headed when they still are in your domain, even as a little kids, you're putting them on a path towards... Uh, you know, how, you know, their adulthood is a product of their childhood. So them getting married and them starting their own family, right, that is going to be um, the, the, the extent of your parenting is going to reach at that far. So you might be, this might be pertinent for you when the child's six and you teach them about the value of having a family and the importance of continuing a tradition of of bringing people to the world and, and taking responsibility for others and, and you know and being part of a Jewish community, right? Those values, uh, uh, you know, even though they are uh, you, you're you're inculcating them into your child at a very early age, they will play out when the child's about to get married. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Um, okay. What else? The rabbi said you're supposed to teach a child how to swim. Oh, I'm about to get that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let you. I don't want to steal the thunder, but I, I just remembered the three things that uh, I was always told that the rabbis taught that were the parents' responsibility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is this is from that same piece of Talmud. It's in Kiddushin 30a and b. If you want to look it up, um, teach a child to trade. So much so, it says the Talmud says same place that if uh, exactly if you don't teach your child a trade, you're in essence teaching them how you know to be a thief because you know if the child won't have an honest trade, he'll find a dishonest uh, trade, and that's part of the responsibility that you take upon yourself when you bring a child to this world is that I am going to teach him to be self sufficient. I'm not going to let him just you know that's my responsibility. That's what I am accepted by myself when I bring a child to this world. And lastly, you got to teach them how to swim. Now, swimming, what about, like, is that, I mean, you have to teach them how to swim, like the backstroke, or, yeah, <laughs> like, is that, you, you know, is that really what it, all it means? Or, it, what, it, what, what it really means is that you have to teach them that you're going to be in situations, like a swimming pool, where you'll need to have, you'll face certain dangers, and you need to learn the tools to deal with those. So, Obviously, swimming is one of those. If, if a child's just thrown into the deep, right, they shove him the, and he doesn't know how to swim, he might drown and die. That's not a good thing, right? That's a danger that a parent has to foresee. Hence, the parent has to teach the child how to deal with the dangers that they will, in most likelihood, encounter. So that's why, it means swimming, but it's not a, a, uh, a aqua-centric uh, responsibility. Rather, it's dealing with all the dangers that a child may encounter. You know, so just off the top of my head, if I'm thinking that it, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna send our kids to college, uh, and colleges, you know, universities in America may be hotbeds of anti-Israel activity. That's a danger, right? You want your child to understand the value to be able to engage in um, a, a uh, an argument uh, as to the validity of the state of Israel. Just off the top of my head, that's a danger the child will encounter. Your job is to ensure that he knows that as a Jew. 
and as a supporter of the state of Israel, he understands the validity of the Jews' claim to Israel. And so it could be a about you know the the international law based. It could be based upon uh, uh, the historical claim. Whatever it is, that's a danger child will encounter. Your job as a parent is to prepare your child for life, to educate, to teach him or her. Obviously, when I say him, it means him or her. I have three boys and a girl, so. Uh, Secondarily, also, you teach them that they really aren't just responsible to save themselves. If they can't save themselves, they can't save another person either. With regards to? Well, certainly with regard to swimming, they wouldn't be able to, they can't save themselves, they can't save somebody else. But if they don't have the fundamental understanding of who they are and what makes them tick, mm-hmm. um, the extension would be they probably aren't going to be able to wrap their heads around mm-hmm. how another person ticks either. Yes, yeah, so what you're saying is that our parent has an obligation to not only teach their, teach their child how to survive and thrive, but also how to be a great person and help others. Right. Um, I think when the, when the Talmud tells us, teach him how to, what they're saying is the bare minimum. This is, you have to do it. As a parent, thou shall parent. You're in charge of taking care of the child physically, uh, uh, educating him uh, uh, or her, uh, in, you know, in, in either uh, to how to achieve positive outcomes, uh, in, in, in values, in, in morals, in ethics, uh, like teaching Torah, in mitzvahs, like circumcise, uh, but also in a profession, you know, profession, and to deal with the potential dangers that they will encounter. Obviously, that's the baseline. That's for everyone. What you're saying is that, yes, if your child is going to be someone who's going to accomplish something significant in their lives, that's probably also going to be a product of some some of the parenting efforts that you did. Well, they're either going to turn out to be givers or they're going to turn out to be takers. Because they're... Mm-hmm. And at some point in time, they will probably be... And, that, and that's going to... And your parenting is going to impact that. Absolutely. I, I see You're saying that... It, the, it's thrown back because they never learned. Yeah, but those grandparents may have been negligent parents, so... That's what I'm saying. So they're, 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 they're negligent. If you can't parent your own kids, certainly you should be parenting other people's kids, see right? That, see that in, 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 in the prisons. You see a lot of the prisoners in the world, the moms appear too. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's cycles. I mean, the, the, the mother gave birth early, wasn't parented, the child was raised, was not parented, gave birth. It's just like this whole Mm-hmm. Exactly. Nobody stood, stood up and said, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the parent. Yeah, so the first, most of, I, I think each one of these ten that we'll talk about today on their own is so crucially important. So I, can say that, I might say, have superlatives, well, this is the most important. Um, a lot of them. This is crucial. And sometimes people just, there's lots of stuff happening in life. Life is, you know, people are busy and they, they have to remember, if you're a parent, by definition, you must parent. You have to be involved. You have to be. Uh, you have to educate your child. You have to teach them about uh, matters of, of 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 faith and religion, obviously, but also matters of life, just life. Right? You're in charge. The child's going to learn it from you primarily. Um, and I think this would also include to also be to monitor your kids. Like in in my head, I know I have four kids, and I know like where where they're all holding, so to speak. Like. What are they going through? Like, what stages, what phases are they going through right now? You know, and 
as my you know my wife and I, we, as parents, we know like our kids are that he's going through a tough time, you know. So we have to compensate our parenting efforts because of you know the reality of of, of where they're holding in, in life, and that's also part of it. You have to be involved, in, you know, in, you know, in your kids and be active. It's dynamic. It's not just it's not just rigid. It's not static. Well, I maintain that we've got to see what the environment is producing today. Like teach them how to swim, that's fine. But I think we have to teach the boys a little bit about self-defense now. And the girls, I would suggest that they get into ballet for future development, at least for when they're young people. They've got to start... I've seen these Jewish families, oh my God, don't let him do that. He shouldn't dirty his hands or something like that. Not hands. I mean, we, when they go out into the world, you know what's out in the world. I mean, gee whiz. No matter where you go, you can't you can't escape it. They're going to have to learn how to take care of themselves in that regard. So, um, so you mean like physical self defense? Like yes. if someone starts out with them in an alley? Yes. Well, if that if that if that danger is a danger that they will definitely encounter in life, then absolutely, um, that's part of teaching your child how to swim. Yeah, that's I, I think school. I think that would certainly fall under the category of teaching a child how to swim. If there's a danger they're gonna definitely encounter that yes, swim was just one thing that we most all of us will most uh, probably encounter once in our lives. But that would include everything, every danger, every pitfall, every challenge and obstacle in your child's life, it's important to prepare them for it. So, I, was, I was raised on Irish Hill in Springfield, Ohio. We had the potato famine in Irish. You walk out the door Brewing here, you go up to this block, it's a full fledged fight, go down there, Wom Kennedy, the poor uh, black Irish giant, you get beat the hell out of him by 10 cops because he went off to his rocker, he got gassed in the war. Okay, when we left our door, we had to put on a mental suit of armor right now. Yeah, so then your, your parents. Right, they should realize that that's a danger that the kids will encounter. Prepare them for it. As parents, we have to parent. Absolutely. Like I mentioned, some of these are Judean-specific, and most of them are not. Most of them are just any parenting. These are the principles. So that's the first one. Thou shalt parent. Number two, thou shalt individualize your parenting. What about that? What I mean by that? Every child is different. So you mentioned the ballet, right? Some kids will say, I don't want to go to ballet. I don't want to read. I'm going to go outside and just climb trees all day and all night. That's a, that's a character type. There's different character types. And we cannot have a cookie carter educational process. We can't say, oh, it worked for your brother. Why don't you do Why are you not like more like your brother? Why are you not like... Look at him. He sits and reads. He's academically involved. He wants to... Why can't he be... Why do you have to make messes? Like, why do you have to be the one who's going crazy and, and you know, jumping on tables and bouncing off walls? We have to realize every kid is different. We have to tailor educational efforts to the nature of our child. 
We cannot assume that what works for one kid, what one kid responds to, the other child will respond to as well. We just had uh, the holiday of Passover. Passover, part of the Haggadah, is the four sons. Remember the four sons? The reason why we're told about these four sons is because we have to realize that on Passover, it's a time for education. Education towards faith. Different kids respond differently. You have four different kinds of kids. Each kid needs to be dealt with in a very specific, individualized way. I cannot say that this is the way you're going to be, and I'm going to force it force it upon you. Why? Right? I may be successful in the short term, but in the long term, if I'm going to go against your character, I'm going to. Eventually, you'll want to revert back to your character type because character types are unchangeable. Doesn't mean the characteristics or character traits are unchangeable. But character types are unchangeable. If you have someone uh, like I do, I have kids, I see two kids. One of them is docile, you know, quiet personality types, character types, that's the same. And, and, and some of them are a little bit more vivacious. They're, they're louder, they're more, you know, and that's just the way they are. And that's where they're going to be to the day they die. That's the way they are. That's the way the Almighty made them. There's different, different kinds of kids, and therefore, I cannot assume that what works for one kid is work is work for the other kid. I cannot force a kid to act in a way which is contrary to their uh, innate, inborn nature. You know? We, you know, we're told in the Talmud. Back to the Talmud. And this is Shantik Shabbos one fifty six a. It talks about a certain child. It says a child that was born in a certain with a certain characteristic. Right, is going to be a bloodshedder. Some kids are going to be bloodshedders. Those are the kind of kids that like like uh, dissecting uh, daddy long legs. We've all encountered some of those. Remember <laughs> at school, there's always that kid who likes the, the you know, the, somehow took pleasure in, 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 in pulling the legs off one at a time, right? Pretty nasty, right? <laughs> uh, there's those kind of kids. Those kids will be bloodshedders. They could choose, however... In what arena they're going to shed blood? Are they going to be a mohel? Mohel is a circumciser, so there's a mitzvah. Are they going to be a doctor, a surgeon? Also a mitzvah. Are they going to be a butcher, which is neutral? Or are they going to be a murderer, which is bad? The character type is unchangeable. What you're going to do with that character is up to you. Our children also, and we can see this, If you, any parent that has two kids knows this. You see that children are different. They have certain character types and we have to make sure that we're not forcing a square into a circle or vice versa. We have to individualize our parenting. Uh, There's a uh, famous verse, probably the most famous verse in all of the Jewish Bible about parenting is uh, from Proverbs 22. Train up the child in the way it should go, and when it is old, it will not depart. How do you like that? Absolutely. Janet, that's a big... Uh, train or educate a child as per his way. Means also, right? Means if you train a child as per his way, also when he grows old, he will not deviate from it. Right? So there's a very, two very important lessons from this verse. Train a child as per his way. We have to individualize our parenting. We cannot have cookie-cutter parenting. It doesn't work. Uh, that's the second of the Ten Commandments. Uh, but also the third of the Ten Commandments, and that is, thou shalt parent with a long-term view. Gam ki as din lo yasur mi 
this is once again Proverbs 22. Also, when he grows old, he will not deviate from it. Parenting, education, pedagogy right, is also is, is about what's going to be when the child grows older. It's not just about what's what's happening right now. My grandfather once wrote a letter. I saw the letter yesterday. He says that when you're parenting, you're focusing on what the child is going to be like when he or she is 30. You could have very immediate results in parenting. Child misbehaves. My kids like ripping tablecloths, like plastic tablecloths, or putting feet in tables. Right? Bam, bam, bam! Two or three smacks, and the kid is suddenly behaving like an angel. Ta-da! Immediate parenting. Immediate results. It's amazing. It's just the best way to do things, right? All you got to do is just a few zets. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, right? I know. Okay. Right, but that's right. You know, it's, there's, there's a way to have immediate results. Right? But that is short-sighted because that's short-term. The real success in parenting is determined when the child is much, much older. Also, when he grows old, he will not deviate from it. The, the parent, the wise parent who crafts his parenting is always thinking down the line. My kid, my kid puts his feet on the table. Like I, when I was a little kid, I like, love sit, like, sitting like this. I still do sometimes. But we know that this is something that a child will eventually grow out of. Right? You don't see adults with their feet on the table. You don't, usually not. Uh, you don't, right? It's, it's, just, it's something that kids will grow out of. Don't make a big deal about something because you you think about the long term. You know the child will anyhow grow out of it. Why would you make a big deal about it now? And but I would argue that parenting is even more inclusive, right? It's, you're teaching about life. And that's because, unfortunately, we know that uh, was it sixty three percent of of children in America don't grow up in families that have with two biological parents. It's the lowest figure in the Western world. <laughs> so, unfortunately, Americans have been very you know negligent in their responsibilities as parents. Unfortunately, uh, so yes, that the, and and what is outsourced to the school is you know is is just because the parents aren't doing their job. Unfortunately. Um, you know, but us as responsible parents, we know that this is our responsibility. I'll say to add to that, part of our challenges raising kids is the fact that there are a growing, seems to be a growing number of kids who are coming up with in families that are not being parented. So yeah, that carries out to what they deal with outside when they're on their own. And it's helpful to teach your kid how to deal with those kids and, and deal with what they bring out and encounter. 
those other kids who are not being properly cared that shows that they're actually not in the world that they have to deal with. It's very unfortunate. And uh, I, you know, I would argue that um, if you were to find a way to take care of this problem of parents just not being there for their kids, not parenting, not teaching their kids about life and about what it means to be a human, you know, you'd probably, the crime rate would be halved, uh, you know, uh, you know, because this is, this is the root that when a kid doesn't have instruction, when there isn't a parent, they, then they just, they just go awry. Then they, every influence on the street and every, you know, every bad influence will just, you know, take hold. There aren't standards. There aren't guidelines. Exactly, hundred um, percent. Okay, so we're, at, we're in number three. Thou shalt parent with a long-term view. Um, you know, we could. We don't want to trade short-term gains for the long term. You know, we always have to be thinking what's going to be like. You know, what's the child going to be like when he's when he's ten, twenty, thirty, even. Right? That's how big of a scope we have to look. Uh, and be careful not to just want to have achieve immediacy. And um, a great illustration that my grandfather would always uh, talk about is the idea of planting and building. There's two ways to have growth. There's a building. Everything is manual. It's inorganic. You have to lay a foundation. You have to put brick by brick. Everything that is going to be in the structure has to be done, has to be worked upon. And then there's planting. Planting, you just drop a seed in the ground, Occasionally you water it, but it kind of sprouts on its own. It's organic. It's a process. It's, it, it's, it's development on its own. Parenting is half planting, half building. In certain areas of our, of our children's life, we have to teach them things that they, they otherwise wouldn't know. We have to build. There's a foundation. There's stuff. Children have to be taught guidelines, how to act, how to be responsible, to build trust, to, to build, to build our children. To build self-confidence, to give them love. Right? Those things are very active. There's another element of our parenting, which is also, like we said, very much focused on the long term, and that is planting. And that's to put an idea into a child and let it sprout and develop over time. Right? For example, like, this is back to you know uh, teaching about by our tradition. Like um, The Talmud says that a child learns how to, how to speak. First thing you teach a child when he learns how to speak is he teach him the verse in Deuteronomy, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Morasha Kehilat Yaakov, which translates as Torah was instructed to us by Moshe, by Moses, and it is a heritage for the Jewish people. First thing the child learns when he, when, when, when he speaks. So most kids don't remember what they learned, what their first words were. But what the, uh, the, the lesson behind it, says my grandfather, is that the child right now is at a very critical point. And just like when you plant, right, there's a certain season for planting. You miss the season, you miss the crop. Right? You have to wait till next year, right? or you lose out. You don't have it. Similarly, there's certain seasons in a child's development that are right for putting in a seed, in deep into their subconscious. They don't even know. Like, if I were to plant uh, outside a, an apple tree, you'd come by two weeks later. You wouldn't see anything. It doesn't have any. There's you know there's no results. Right? Nothing. But over time, 10 years, 20 years, you'll see a beautiful tree. Because parenting is also about instilling ideas in children and letting them grow on their own. Letting them be, like, you know, you plant it and it grows and it develops on its own. 
and um, and and that's why it's important also to not miss out. So the Talmud says, a child learns how to speak right away. Speak to him in Hebrew. You teach him this verse, right? Because that's the time to implant this idea. But other ideas, other ideas of faith, right? You know, when a child sees a parent um, praying, it's weird, right? the child says, okay, "Daddy is talking." But there's no one there. Why is Daddy talking? It seems uh, it seems bizarre. It seems strange. Right? Who's there? There's no one there. So the ch- so you tell the child, "Oh, Daddy's talking," but Daddy's talking to something that you cannot see, and that's and that's because the entire world was created by God, and we could talk to Him, but we can't see Him. Right? That's an idea of planting, an idea of faith in our child that will grow and develop on its own. Obviously, with some maintenance, you got to water it a little bit. You know, you have to be active a little bit with with this development. But it's not something that you have to build on its own. It's not. It's not rigid. It's not. It's not building. It's planting. Um, you know, these two components uh, are the foundation and the root. Of all parenting, yeah, nice little playing words: foundation, building, root, planting. Um, I think maybe uh, another sidebar in, in, in you know in this is that you know we talked about teaching kids about faith and about Judaism. It's also important to answer questions. You know, I was talking to someone yesterday, actually a convert to Judaism. He said that. He was very curious. I'm like, what made you find? He grew up in a very, very observant uh, Christian family. So I said, what made you decide to him and his wife? Uh, what made you decide to, uh, you know, to adopt Judaism? And he says that he's very inquisitive and very curious, and he was always asking questions and never got in, never got satisfactory answers until he ended up in some Hebrew class and. He eventually said, I'm, I'm in. And it took him like eight or nine years to finally, you know, go through the whole process of conversion. And But, you know, he's now an active member in, in our in our community. So, and unfortunately, the there are kids that have gone away from their uh, heritage because of the same reason. Because they asked questions and didn't get satisfactory answers. And we know children are very, very inquisitive. But it's important to Answer the questions. The child asks something. You have to answer it. Right? That's your job as a parent, because this has very, very long-term effects on the child. You have to answer questions. Um, also, I was thinking with regards to teaching children about faith. You know, um, uh, my grandfather says that his teacher would would give out little prizes to his children, to his, I, I, my grandfather's teacher's children. Uh, he would give them prizes for for pointing out uh, areas of life or the world where God is involved. So, like you know, and he would give them he would give them like prizes to say, okay, fine, uh, the Almighty is involved because of X, Y, or Z. Like I, I do this with my kids. I say, you know, as an example, you know, when you're walking on the street and you see oh someone's walking, you notice that their hands are swinging. Like, well, why are your hands swinging? Everyone, everyone who walks, their hands are swinging. Well, why are people swing their hands when they walk? Balance. Exactly. The Almighty made us in a very clever way that we shouldn't tip over to one, one way. So he made us just automatically let our hands swing to keep balance. That's just some little quirk in our lives that you know we probably don't notice. But you tell a kid that and you say, wow, 
you know, this thing is real. Right? God is involved and God, you know, helps us to, God loves us. I tell my kids that you know in your you know in your in your body like in your in your skull there's a brain that the Almighty gave us and the, the brain is just a fascinating organ and it, what it does is X Y or Z and what you're really doing is teaching kids about faith and you're implanting ideas into their subconscious that will grow and develop over time. You, know, you have within yourself a network of pipes that carry blood back and forth. That's such a vast network that if you were to take them and just you know, take all the pipes and put them in ten. They will be like as big as all the roads in America. Wow! And there's never any traffic jams because if there are, you're probably dead. Wow! <laughs> Amazing. You know, that's the way to teach kids. Uh, you know about about faith, and that's once again that's it. That that's something which is will play play out over the long term. Can't expect them to find it on their own. Okay? It may not have immediate results, but we're not looking for immediate results. Why? Thou shalt parent with a long-term view. That was number three. Let's go to number four. Thou shalt love your child and express it. You have to love your child. Not only that, you have to express it. You have to be affectionate to your child. Physical affection is very important. Children, and I think humans as well, we have lots of needs that we may not even be able to articulate. And that is to connect to other people on a physical way as well. We need touch. Touch is a very basic human need. Children need that as well. You want, you know, you want, and, and this is something that the parent has to give. They have to love their child and they have to also express it. Now, what happens when a ch- parent loves a child? And what happens, conversely, a parent does not love a child. Or they may love a child, but they may be, oh, of course I love my child. Of course I love my child. But how often do I tell them about it? Right? How often do I communicate it to them? How often do I do loving activities and say, I, I love you so much? How often do I give them 150 kisses before they go to sleep? I, I give my, my kids thousands of kisses a day. Thousands. Pro- probably. When a parent loves a child, any one of the other parental um, activities or efforts have a chance to succeed. So any tactics, any strategies that we talk about, about how a parent has to engage in child, and that it's all predicated on the fact that the parent loves their child and expresses it. If a parent loves his child and expresses it, then there is a chance for their parenting efforts to succeed. If a parent doesn't love a child or loves a child but doesn't express it, the child will not be able to be influenced by their parents. So this is like a baseline that's needed for any parenting efforts. It has to be that the parent loves the child and the parent expresses it to the child. I said physical express, And you know what? Children can't get enough of it. They can't get enough of it. They need hugs. They need love. They need parent lying down with their kids, you know, with, with them and telling them stories. Like my, my wife like reads stories from my kids about an hour and a half a day. Probably an hour and a half, two hours a day. Like, uh, you know, they, I don't know if maybe this is normal, but this is not normal. But before they go to bed, they're on the couch. We don't have a television, so that uh, maybe the best thing that uh, for parenting. You know, so she, there's just 
tons and tons of books in my house, and they just sit all there, like congregated, every one of them, uh, from the little baby to the biggest one. And they just she just reads stories and talks to them, and get, like that's just an act of love that a parent does to the child. The children need it, like they need oxygen. They need love. They need touch. They need they need uh, affection. They need it. My grandfather would was very fond of the uh, of the theory uh, proposed by uh, some Swiss uh, sociologist or something like that, a psychologist, who said that there was an idea called a um, social gestation. So I found out that we, as we know, that a small human baby who's born is literally like a block of wood, can't do anything. Um, while all other creatures, all animals, the kid, you know, the baby kittens born, baby kittens walk, crawl, can, you know, be, can jump around, they're much more capable than humans. And why would the humans, the most capable of all creatures, uh, be born, at, you know, with such limited capabilities, you know, the most limited of all other uh, creatures? So... What this guy uh, proposed, my grandfather liked it, so therefore I like it. I think it makes sense. I think it's uh, something we could. Uh, it's useful for us. But there's an idea called social gestation that the human gestation, the human pregnancy, is split into two parts. You have the in utero pregnancy, the child is actually what we would call pregnant, and then there's the social gestation. The next nine months, it's really pregnancies are eighteen months. You know, for um, they really are eighteen months. Half of it is done in utero, the other half is done with the society, with the family, with parents, right? That's all part, you know, of, 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 of preparing a child for life. And then, you know, the child's really a baby at night. Then they can crawl, they can eat a little bit, right? That's, you know, at, at that point is, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, at parity with other, with other newborns of, you know, of other, of other species. Point being that there's a certain element that humans need, um, and that's love. And it's it's a basic need, and it's part of our, our, our development, and, and and so crucial, so vital, so necessary. And uh, parenting is not possible without it. Interesting. Uh-huh. And the Almighty gives us a head start. You know, parents love their children. Like it's, it's you know, all other love in the world has to be, you know, engendered, has to be developed. But a parent on day one loves their child. So we have a head start, so to speak. Um, but if we're negligent, we'll lose that. That's very unfortunate. But I, I you know, like we said, Parenting and parenting efforts can only be successful if, if if love exists and love is expressed. And I think all the more so when, you know, during the tumultuous years of adolescence and teenagehood, uh, the only thing that will enable a parent to be influential, to be of assistance to their child when they're going through those rocky times, is if there's a warm, loving, and open relationship that was already fostered since day one. If the whole relationship is one of, of, of pleasantness, of, of, of being calm, of being loving, of, right? Then, at, when, you know, when the child needs a parent most, 
Um, they won't necessarily be rebellious and say, I don't want anything to do with you, which is ironic. At the time where a, where a child needs a parent most, that's usually the time when the child is most resistant to be involved with parents. But if the love exists and the love is fostered and nurtured and, and sustained and great from day one, the parent has the ability to be uh, to be there for the child uh, when the child needs it most. I was just going to say that uh, you know many parents uh, with negativity, you know, don't do this, don't do that. How many times have I told you, you know, not to do that? And if they just go in and you know a child wants attention, and if you can just go in there and put your hand on them and say, boy, you are really sitting there nice, nicely, and reading that book uh, very well instead of it's so 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 much more effective. Positive parenting is so much more effective. For my daughter, I don't tell her, like, no, don't do that. That was the wrong choice. I ask her, Isabel, is that the right choice to make? And she'll say, no. (laughs) But also, when she does do the right choice, you highlight that. A child makes a mistake, or a child, and a child, let's say, does the right thing. The, The good parent is going to focus on when the child does the right thing. And the kid can infer very well. Not to do the negative thing. Oh, right? very smart. <laughs> Your kids are very, very sensitive to you know to, to parenting and you know to like inflections in parenting. So, oh, yeah, but uh, you know, if a child does the right thing and does the wrong thing, obviously a parent you know expects a child to do the right thing and wants to point out that no, this is the wrong thing. But the right thing to do, I don't know if it make any sense, this sounds a little complicated, it's like a tongue twister. But the right thing for the parent to do is when the child does the right thing, to say, wow, look how well you did the right thing. And then the child will know that that's the right thing and the wrong thing is the wrong thing. This thing said right thing, wrong thing. Exactly. When the parent has... Yeah, when the parent has a cigarette hanging out there, I told you not to smoke, it's bad for you. You know? <laughs> and uh, but kids are very, very observant. They'll, they will mimic their parents. And so, so sometimes it's... Mm-hmm. It's funny, because that's, that's actually number six. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Okay, so that was number four. Number four we said was, thou shall love your child and express it. Number five, thou shall boost your child's self-esteem. Um, this is what my opinion. So you may, as you guys all know, you're allowed to disagree. In fact, that's encouraged. In my opinion, the most important thing for a parent to give to their child is self-confidence, self-esteem, the feeling, the feeling that they could do it, that they're good, that they have skills, that they have abilities, that they have something to contribute. Uh, because that is a gateway to everything. The people that are that are successful in life are the ones who have self confidence. The people that have self confidence, self esteem, they have good relationships, they have good professional lives. They have they're they're positive people because they have they feel good about themselves. And conversely, uh, negative uh, poor self esteem, you know, is con- contributes to every negative thing. And uh, schools and the school environment. Someone mentioned bullies, but school is something where it kid is usually, it's usually not the, a place where, which, you know, it builds a child's self-esteem because there's always someone that's better. It's very competitive. Right? Kids are, you know, kids feel that if they put someone else down, then they themselves, you know, their stature goes up. 
so kids are going to be in many, many situations where their self-esteem is going to be tested and challenged, and you know, and, and it's important for them to have a strong basis, a strong uh, uh, foundation from their home where uh, positive reinforcement, but where they're told that they're to accomplish, they, they, they could be successful, right? I believe in you. A parent says to the child, I believe in you. I trust in you. I know in, uh, what we try to do in our family, like by our Shabbos table, like our kids from like from the year, from the age of two are, we have them bringing stuff in, you know, so they're holding like, you know, uh, dishes or stuff like that. We trust them. Of course, of course the kid could do it. Right? If you believe in your child, you believe that they could do it, then they will be able to do that. If you tell a child, I believe it, I, you know, what you tell a child that he is, and that's what he actually will be. So if you boost their self-confidence, and they say, of course you could do it. I trust you. I believe in you. I have full confidence that you could do it. Of course you could do it. Well, then they're able to do it. If you constantly say, no, 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 hold it this way, hold it that way, if you're constantly saying that they cannot do it, well, they probably won't be able to do it. You know? I had a very interesting observation. So my dad was a heavy smoker for many, many years. Uh, he started smoking when he was, when he was 14, uh, and he quit when he was 50. So it's 36 years, and he was a fairly heavy smoker. Uh, till this day, he says, worst thing I ever did was to quit smoking. Worst thing I ever did. So this is important to the story, because um, my... So we're, I'm one of nine siblings, and none of us are smokers at all. Um, so my mom would always say, Always, she would always say this, that none of our kids are going to be smokers because they see how much how much difficulty their father goes through with smoking, they won't smoke. She said this a thousand times. And, uh, you know, let's call a spade a spade. It was total BS, okay? My, grand, my father wasn't going through such a difficult time smoking. In fact, like, he, you call him up right now. If we call him up right now, we'll say, uh, Abba, my father Abba. That's the Hebrew word for father. Dad. Abba, was it, what was the worst decision you ever made or something like that? He'll say, oh, quit smoking. Right? He, did, he loved smoking. And like, you know, still to this day when he passes to people smoking, he like wants to like get a cigarette. He didn't go through it some tough time, but our parents like drilled into our head. Of course, our kids won't smoke because they see how much it, and I saw years later, my younger brother was, I was just privy to a conversation that he had with uh, with some other person who says, me, I'm never going to smoke. I saw a difficult time that my father had when he was smoking. I would never do that. So I use this as a story um, to illustrate the fact that, you know, if you tell a child, um, you tell him what he is, well, that's what he is. You know, um, you know my parents would always say, you know, our kids don't lie. It's like one of the, one of their uh, axioms. Our kids don't lie. So, like, if, if a child says, uh, "Oh, I did the homework," or "I ate the food," you know, and you happen to know that the kids are lying, you know, for a parent, it's very easy to see through the child's lies. Very easy. Kids don't. I know. I used to think when I was like in school, we had rules: no eating in class. And I was always eating in class, and I would like put my head down like this and like try to chew, <laughs> try to chew with just one side, and like. But, and then you grow up and you see it's very easy to tell, you know, just a smart parent or educator won't necessarily point out, give me a second. Um, but if you tell a child, okay, your child tells a lie to you, what do you, what do you say? 
you're a liar. I can prove it to you. Right? That's, what, that's what your inclination would be to say. That's a mistake. What you say is, what you should say is, of course I believe you. My kids, our kids don't lie. You would never lie. And then uh, it eats it eats at them because their parent trusted me not to lie, and they say I don't lie, but here I am lying. That's the way to teach your kids to be honest. And I, I just one more cigarette story. I'll get to you in a second. This is a, this is this is a great illustration that um, I had a friend I met in yeshiva years later. This who was not an honest. He wasn't so honest. He wasn't, and uh, he also smoked. Uh, how, that's also relevant to the story. So, so he told me once that when he, so he was he he smoked, but he told his parents, "No, of course I don't smoke." So his dad, listen to this, pretty crazy. His dad, like t- pictures, uh, like he got someone to take pictures of him from a distance, like some private <laughs> investigator or something like that, and like he took pictures of like his jacket pocket with cigarettes in it, and he says, "Ta da, evidence." You smoke, right? And this kid, not only does he smoke, but I know him to not be that honest. Because his parents said, look, you're dishonest. Right? You, you, you tell a child, look, you're dishonest. Well, then they're dishonest. And I, I, I remember there's another episode that I had with this, with this individual. He was just dishonest. He was, and like, to me, like I ha- if I want to lie, I have to like, planet you know so you got to prepare <laughs> you have to you have to like check here what am i going to say because naturally i'm just I, you know just a little bit more honest and this guy wasn't and like i remember it was like a trivial lie like why is he he was just because his parents taught him how to lie right? because that's what you tell a child what they are that's what they are that's what they become if you tell a child you're honest you would never lie then they'll never lie if you say, ta-da, I found you, look, here's the evidence, you're a liar, you're a liar, you win. Parent of the year. Exactly, 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 exactly. Exactly, yeah. Does this work with adults? Well... Adults, the older you get, the harder it is to change. But yes, I, I do believe that um, you know children are ripe. Children are, are um, very uh, malleable. They're ripe for, 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 for being molded. But once someone is molded in a certain way, it's much harder to break the mold and to recreate it. So yes, uh, a lot of these things of, about educating our children um, are... Also, tactics and strategies that we use to educate ourselves or educate our, our adult pupils, whatever. But it is more difficult. As a child, it's literally like you can just twist it whatever way you want. Like you can make a child into being honest or being a liar. Okay? You're as a parent. You want the blue pill? You want the red pill? Oh, okay, so reference. I guess that's is that dated? Well, yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Fifteen years, I guess so. Was it fifteen years? Yeah, fifteen years no ago. Nineteen ninety nine. Well, that's, yeah. It's more difficult, certainly. Why do you believe my kid's going to be a pediatrician? Just don't tell them that. No, she tells me all the time she's going to be a pediatrician. Um... Uh, one more issue, one more point with self-confidence. 
uh, and self-esteem. We said, like, telling you to do it, like, giving them responsibilities, trusting them. Um, you know, when if, you know, when there's two kids, when there's a new baby being born, so there's always like a sh- like a reshuffling of of family status. You know, <laughs> the baby now is not the baby anymore. So they know they know people aren't fawning over them; they're fawning over the new baby. So there's resentment. So and, and you know, and you have to the kid has to learn to adapt to the new situation. So one of the uh, strategies um, that uh, my grandfather advises to employ is this: you know, teaching a kid to be responsible, trusting them to say, you know, that they should feel like they are stewards of the new baby, like. Okay, the new baby's crying. It's, it's it's your baby. Right? You're in charge. Go get a diaper for mommy. Give the baby a pacifier. Right? You know, they when they take responsibility, when when you tell them that you're in charge of the baby, they feel, you know, they feel responsibilities to the baby. They feel positively towards the baby. They're not going to be aggressive and try to poke it at their eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was uh, number five. Thou shall uh, boost your child's self-esteem. Uh, this is number six. That. Uh, uh, was brought up several times. Thou shalt teach by example. You know, the way adults are taught is kind of different than the way children are taught. Children learn much more about what you are, what you do, than what you say. Like you said, if someone, if you're smoking, if they don't smoke, or like in, in shul, sometimes you see, like, very unfortunately, you see like a parent shushing their kid in shul, don't talk in shul, but they themselves are just schmoozing all the whole time. the child will most likely follow what you do and not what you you know you know what you preach Uh, and and you know what and the child is very sensitive to the fact that you're a contradiction i'll say and then your status in their you know in their minds you know shrinks so um for example like if you're enthusiastic about life in likelihood, they will be as well. If you're dancing on tables, thanking the Almighty for life, they probably will also be very happy about life. If you're always sad and morose and uh, uh, you know, if you're if, you, if you're dour, they they'll probably mimic that as well. You know, but that's in life. But I think in Judaism as well. Like if if you say, "Oh man, we have to eat matzah now," uh, it's the ma the pace of food is oh, it's so stale. It's right in the sixth day. I know there was this girl on Facebook who was complaining endlessly about uh, matzah, about the Pesach food. Right? If you're complaining about Judaism, if you have a negative uh, reaction to Judaism, your kid will probably have a negative reaction to Judaism as well. You know? Oh, shul is so long. What a hassle. Judaism becomes a hassle. If Judaism is a hassle, why would a kid want to do something which is a hassle. Your children respond to pain and pleasure in a very similar way, you know, that adults do. Children don't like pain; they do like pleasure, and this is something that we all know. So, why would a kid want to do pursue something that's painful? Doesn't make any sense, right? If you make Judaism pleasurable, they'll want to follow it because they want pleasure. If you make Judaism a hassle pain, then they want to avoid it in any way possible. So it's very simple. You want your kids to be vibrant about Judaism? Make it fun. Right? If it's fun for you, it's fun for them. But, you know, if they see how much you enjoy Shabbos, right, they'll probably enjoy it as well. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's also true. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, if, and eventually they will come themselves to enjoy the two. You know what and I also think that um, you know, when there's love, like we said, a child wants to emulate the parents. Uh, when there is when there isn't love, the child wants to be anything but the parents. Um, if you have positive reactions, if you so I, I tell my kids every every Thursday, I say, "What's tomorrow night? Shabbos." My kids are so excited to have Shabbos. They get candies, they get dressed up. It's it's a huge event in our house. It's huge. The kids love it. They get to drink Coke, and we special Shabbos foods, and they have candies and the Shabbos treats and the Shabbos games and the Shabbos this. And to them, Shabbos is awesome. It's awesome, but they can't listen to music. Uh, they can't play with the tablet. So what? You know, the benefits greatly outweigh the, the you know the drawbacks. It's such a because we take the effort to make it positive. We go to the store, table, we're buying our Shabbos treats. Okay, you pick a Shabbos treat, you pick a Shabbos treat, and you pick a Shabbos treat. Like to them, like now Shabbos becomes a pleasure. It's not a hassle. I can't use my phone. Can't watch TV. It's it's fun. But if I'm if I'm sitting there complaining. Or just waiting like this till I could, you know, till I could check my emails. My kid will probably have share that share that feeling as well. So, point being is that the education that we give to our kids is a lot more about what we do and how we react uh, than what we instruct, than what we tell people, what we tell our, tell them verbally. So, like, like with every area of, of life, but also in, in, I think especially in, in areas of faith and areas in Judaism, if we are positive towards. If we're excited about it, if we're dancing on tables, they will likely follow suit. And if we're, uh, you know, if we're, you know, going through the motions and being, uh, you know, being Jews by rote, they will likely uh, uh, not want to uh, go through that painful experience. Kids respond to pain and pleasure. Very, very similar to the way adults do. In fact, identically. All we are is just big kids. Adult children. So that's uh, that's number six. Thou shall uh, teach by example. Thou shall be excited about life. And Judaism. Number seven. Thou shall discipline and demand with consistency. <coughs> now, this the exact wording I think was not... Um, I don't like the wording um, that I gave to this. So I, even though I just said it myself. Um, point being is that discipline, punishment, how to deal with kids who do things that you don't like them to do uh, is something where I think a lot of parenting goes awry. No big deal. Um, when I say uh, discipline and demand with consistency, I don't mean that you should always be demanding and disciplining. What I do mean is that... Um, like someone mentioned that we don't uh, tell our kids no. I I would call up my mom on the way here. Uh, I said okay. Uh, I said uh, I'm I'm giving a class now about uh, parenting. What are your quick uh, what are your tips? So she said I wrote wrote them down. She said say no as little as possible, but when you say no, you stick by your guns. Consistency is very important for kids to know that there's rules. Whatever the rules are, those are rules, and those are you stand very firmly by those rules. Like, you don't make a lot of rules. You don't want to be overbearing. You certainly want, it's 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 ninety eight percent positive. We said we don't want to have the negative, right? But when you have a rule, whatever that rule is, parents should know 
uh, the child should know that when, when a parent says something, they mean it. So if you make a threat to a child, if you go there, you won't get that, right? If you run into the street, you can't ride your bike. Whatever, whatever that is, you have to make sure that's not an empty threat. Um, whatever you choose to make as a guideline, as something which is um, a rule in your, you know, a standard in your, you know, in you know, in your family, whatever you choose, you shouldn't do a lot. Say no as little as possible. Whatever you do, you stick by it. Otherwise, you lose the ability to influence a child. The child knows that, uh, okay, so, you know, if I do something wrong and I get punished, I get consequence, not really punishment, the consequence, then the parent won't stick by it. So then the parent's ability to set rules and firm guidelines for conduct disappears. So that's why it's important to... You know, standards are clear, and 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 when I, you know, that the consequences for going against whatever standards you rules you have set are consistent, and whatever you demand, well, not to demand a lot, but whatever you do demand, you demand, and you make sure you achieve that because otherwise you become an ineffectual, uh, 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 you know, parent uh, educator. I have a uh, a great quote from one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, secular books. The book is called, where is it? There's a snapshot of it. Uh, a fellow by the name of Bill James. I heard of Bill James. The father of the sabermetrics. I heard of sabermetrics. He's the advanced statistics using data, like advanced data to, um, he, yeah, he was the one who wrote the book about baseball. I had a, you know, Moneyball, I heard of Moneyball. So that's an outgrowth of, of so he wrote a book called Popular Crime. Which he takes like uh, this. It's an incredible book where he analyzes crime, tremendous analysis. Um, you know, he says he he read over a thousand crime books. It's like it's it's a book that can't be described. It's not comparable to any other book ever written. It's like very interesting. But anyhow, at the end here, he has a sentence that I liked, and I, I took a picture of it. Uh, in a well-functioning family, punishments are so light as to be hardly recognizable as punishments. Supervision is constant. Standards are clear, and misbehaviors are corrected with a word, a moment's instruction, an explanation, a hug, and if need be, with a few minutes in a timeout chair or being grounded for a week. That's in a well-functioning family. In a dysfunctional family, small misbehaviors go unnoticed and uncorrected. Standards are unclear, and punishments are harsh. The kid goes by with more and more and more, with nobody saying anything. And then he gets slapped, yelled at, humiliated, and grounded for a year. This doesn't work. I could not agree with him more. Um, so that's what I mean by I'll get to you in a second. Uh, that's what I mean by saying that there has to be consistency. There has to be clear guidelines. There has to be rules, and the consequences don't have to be big, but they have to be followed. As opposed to just saying, ignoring, ignoring, and as it kind of gets worse, slapping or yelling or cursing or punishing, you know, you know, in, in, you know, in a, in a, in a uh, uh, outrageous manner. So that's, uh, that's uh, you know, perspective about uh, discipline and demanding. Uh, don't demand so much. Don't discipline so much. Have certain rules. But when you do say no, when you do demand, make sure that you follow up with that. Otherwise, you become... Uh, you become a, a lame duck parent. I like that, lame duck parent.
Listen, your your job as a parent is to teach your child how to behave. If if it, you know if, you know if it's just random, you're not teaching them, you're not showing them what is the right way to act and what's you know. So that is number uh, number seven. Thou shalt discipline and demand with consistency. It doesn't mean a lot. Don't demand too much, but when you do demand, I'll give you a second. Uh, make sure it's clear. Standards are clear. Rules are clear, and the responses are are, are measured and consistent. Yes. So that's always very dangerous, you know. Um, it, it's it's a problem when a child hears uh, one thing at home and another thing in school. You know, I spoke to someone recently who was sending his child to a uh, uh, you know a Catholic school, not a Catholic school, but a school where Catholic influences are, are very are very present. You know, and he's trying to teach his his daughter about you know about Judaism. So the the child gets a mixed message. That's going to be a tremendous challenge, and. You know, uh, the, aside from choosing where you send your kid to school, um, you really, you, you know, you can't control what happens, you know, at the school itself. You can't. It's a certain challenge, yeah. And I, I don't think it's healthy, you know, where the child is, because whether you like it or not, the child is a certain, uh, that school is a certain component of the child's education. Uh, so... It's it's an added challenge. It's an added challenge, and it's you know it's, it's a difficult thing. You might have to overcompensate for that. You, know, you might have to realize that there you know or teach the child that listen, in school, you know they say this, but we here you know we don't agree with that. Or you know in 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 school you may hear something else, or you may learn something else. But I'm your father. I love you, and I know what's best for you. You know, or whatever. It's a challenge, and it's, you know it's it's a you know it's a difficulty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard. Sometimes, sometimes you have to bite your fingers. Like I, you know, I, for example, twenty seven. I don't want to get too sidetracked. We have still three more commandments that I want to finish, and we have only fourteen minutes. But I know that one of, um, uh, like, uh, we don't believe my wife and I in giving the kids too many rules. So the kid, let's say, was a. a it's 58 degrees outside. It's a little chilly. Or maybe 48 degrees, whatever. But the kid says he doesn't want to take a coat to school. I have to ask myself the question, is this going to be a battle that I want to fight? And I say, you wear this coat or else. Right? So we chose that we're not making this battle. And so, you know, we send, them to send the kid to school without a coat. And what happened? Um, the teacher said to the, the child... You can't go outside to recess because you don't wear a coat. So, on one hand, I was a little bit upset at the teacher because what the teacher is really saying is that your parents don't know what the heck they're doing. They're saying your parents are doing something dangerous. And and that was a very calculated reason why we chose, we made the decision to, you know, to not, so I have to kind of bite my, you know, bite my lip and not, you know, not make it, not call off the teacher and say, what are you doing? On the other hand, something that the kid learns, he, he just learned, he made a decision and he had to deal with the consequences. That's a very healthy thing for a kid to know.
Um, okay. Uh, like speaking about standards, like I know my kids, they get angry. If you're angry, you know, you, you, my kids fight all the time, all the time. They love each other so much, but they still fight a lot. But they know that even if they're upset at, at me or my wife, they can never ever hit their parents. Can't. This is something we have a clear standard. The kids know, you know. And you know, if they if they get if they uh, you know if they if they're upset, they start. Then they'll they'll they'll, they'll feel a consequence right away. You cannot hit your parents, no matter what. That's a certain guideline, a certain a, you know boundary that we set. Uh, you know, the kids to fight, you can't fight. This sounds crazy. Like, what kind of family is this, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's certain rules that we have, and you know, and it's not many. We don't have lots and lots and lots of rules, uh, but we have rules. Whatever rules we have, we stick to them. Parent and uh, parent discipline demand. Be consistent as well with that. With what you have. Okay, let's move on to number eight. Um, is is there a hard uh, one at eleven thirty? We're done here. Or can we go to eleven thirty-five? Maybe. Okay, so I'm gonna try to do this as quickly as possible. Okay, thou shall collaborate with your partners. Parents are not alone, right? They have each other, right? Two parents per child. And these should be aligned in their parental objectives. Right? If the two, the, the two parents have to learn that they are a team, and they're just um, uh, they have to complement each other, and they have to discuss and collaborate with each other. You know, and they should you know be united in what they want for their child. Because, like we said, otherwise, if there's mixed messages and mixed approaches, the kid will grow up with the mixed. Confusion. There's confusion. Parents have to be united. And it's very difficult because that, that means you actually have to discuss parenting. You know, And our lives are very busy. But if we want to be good parents, we have to learn that we have to collaborate with our spouses. Not only that, we have to also have make sure that our homes are good breeding grounds for healthy kids. If, the, if a happy marriage usually produces happy children. Miserable marriage usually produces miserable children. One more thing is that the Talmud tells us there's actually three partners in every child. Who's the third partner? The Almighty. You cannot leave the Almighty outside of your parenting efforts. We believe in prayer. Prayer, talking to the Almighty. Asking the Almighty for assistance. Remember, we are able to communicate with the Creator of heaven and earth, and the, all the galaxies, and every atom. We're able to communicate with Him. We're able to talk to Him. We're able to, and and and, and prayer is a huge part of parenting. That's collaborating with your partners. It's obviously your spouse. But also the Almighty. It's so so crucial. I know people that pray to the Almighty uh, that He should wash over their kids dozens of times a day. Dozens. You have to pray. For, and and I get this right. But every person in a position of leadership to be a rabbi who has a community, to be a teacher who has students, most certainly to be a parent that has children, has to pray. There's a Talmudic uh, source for this. But it has to pray for the well-being, for the success of 
their uh, constituents, their underlings, the people that they're in charge of. So, that, so that's number eight. You have to collaborate with your partners. You have to uh, make sure that the parents are aligned uh, with their educational goals and tactics and strategies that they use for their children. Uh, make sure that your home is a happy home. Happy home, happy marriage usually produces happy kids. Healthy home, healthy marriage produces healthy kids as well. And uh, not to forget, not to leave a third partner uh, outside. Number nine, thou shall not make your parenting an arena for your own negative character traits. Unfortunately, parents have a propensity to use parenting as a way to exercise their own individual character shortcomings. What do I mean by that? A parent could be jealous of the neighbor's kid or some other kid that they see who just behaves so wonderfully. And then they would act to their child, they would parent their child in a way that is really not for the benefit of the child, but rather because the parent is exercising their own jealousy. That's a terrible thing. One example. <laughs> parent wants honor. Want everyone to think that I'm a great parent or I'm, I'm just I'm brilliant. So, I'll, so therefore, my own negative character is going to influence the way I parent my child. That's very bad. Another example. Revenge. Scary. Parents could want to exercise revenge against their kid. The kid said this to me. I'm angry. They, I want to get back at them. It sounds, it sounds demonic, but, that, but it's real. Parents have to keep the best interests of their child in mind. And that can be the only factor that, you know, that, 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 that should affect their parenting. They, they have to make sure that they are not using just their own negative shortcomings and, and using that as a springboard for parenting. Anger. Um, I'm angry. I'm like, angry the kid. Slap him, right? That's obviously bad. Or what I'm doing is I'm using my parenting as an arena for my negative character. Desire for control. Ooh, this is a big one. People want to feel like I have control. I want to control my kid, and that's terrible. And the kids, this is uh, maybe out of out of everything, this is the most likely to set you know to 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 to, to, to you know create a chasm between you and your child and making you a lame duck parent. And that is where the child feels like the parent is overbearing, is trying to control them, trying to trying to map out their lives. I want you to be this, you better be this, right? I want you to be a pediatrician, right? Now you said that's your child. I, right. I know you said that you said your daughter says she wants Could to be you a help me, please? I apologize. I don't know why I looked at you, but <laughs> but no, but sometimes a parent wants to impose. And that's a that's a negative characteristic, and this is also uh, not, not to uh, get too far sidetracked with other uh, aspects of our lives. But uh, you know, in marriage as well, sometimes it's a very bad characteristic is where one of the spouses wants to control the other one. It's a very negative characteristic, and it has no place in education. Um. You know, we deceive ourselves. You know, we have selfish aims, and we deceive ourselves to think, ah, this is the best thing for the child. When in reality, all I'm trying to do is the best thing for me and to feed my own negative uh, characteristics. Uh, and my grandfather declared uh, with finality, without good character, it is impossible to parent properly. If the parent himself or herself does not have good character, does not make sure that they're not acting out of anger, out of revenge, out of desire for control, out of pursuit of honor, all these negative character traits, 
Obviously, laziness is terrible. I just say, eh, whatever, lazy. I'm too lazy. It's too heavy. Ah, I can't deal with it. Ah, can't deal with it. It's too complicated, right? Negative character traits. If you have negative character traits, you are severely limited in your ability to parent. Thou shall not make your parenting an arena for your negative character traits. Make sure that you have, you clear away negative character traits, you'll be able to be an effective parent. And we have reached the culmination, the last of the Ten Commandments of parenting. Thou shalt not be obstinate. Sometimes parents are convinced that they know what's best. And they're trying it again and again, and it's not working. You have to be flexible. We mentioned earlier, every kid responds differently you know, to different challenges. Right? We want to make sure that you're not the fly, you don't have fly in the window syndrome. Sometimes you see like a fly and it's in the window. So again, 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 like it's it's sure that there's nothing there, right? And it wants to just fly right through the window. It just sees something that it wants there. It wants to go there, but it keeps, it keeps on hitting some invisible wall. Right? Parenting, sometimes we keep on hitting invisible walls. And we try, we're, we, we just want to will it, want to force it, want to just, mm, and it's just not working. Right? We have to be very flexible. If something that you're trying to do with your child is not working, Try something else. You know, in our family, we have a, and my wife and I, we call this buy them a pet. You know, sometimes like the best thing for a child is to like have responsibility to have a pet. You know, just is what we call in our family, uh, because you have to be willing to be creative. You have to brainstorm. Say, okay, this child, for whatever reason, is having this difficulty, and whatever we're, we're trying to do, it's not working. Let's try something else. Don't stick to your guns. Uh, you know, I know pa- of parents who have a certain way of doing things, and that's the way it is. And they're not willing to negotiate. And uh, for example, there was one kid who um, was having uh, scholastic academic challenges, and the parent and, and the kid really needed to just be let alone. You know, he was ten years old to twelve years old. His brain is still mush, right? He's still fermenting, percolating. Let him grow up. Let him be. Let him be a child. So he's not be. He's. He's. And you know what? Now down the line, he's not. The, he's not going to be an academic. He isn't. He wasn't made to be that. But the parents were insisting because they had fly in the window syndrome, and 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 this this crippled the child's self esteem because the child is constantly being told or being presented in a situation where they cannot succeed. Because a parent insists on the child getting A's and B's or even C's. Right? Let the child hey, be creative. It's not working. Right? And the negative, uh, the negative, the neg- the negative uh, after effects are, are disastrous. And you don't even end up achieving what you wanted to achieve to begin with. Do not, the doubt should not be obstinate. As a parent, you have to be flexible. You have to be creative. You have to realize that different kids respond differently. You cannot be insistent on one particular uh, aspect uh, or angle of parenting and just not and, and just being totally resolute and totally uh, non-negotiable about anything. Right? Buy him a pet, we call it in our family. Right? Be creative. Do not be set in your, set in your ways. Uh, parenting, um, obviously, as the child's progress, and if you have a few children, there's going to be so many different elements and angles. You have to be very flexible, very fluid in your parenting. Thus, I do have five extra minutes if you want. They're making candles out there. Oh, they're making candles out there. They're 
Yes, David. I have two questions. The first is, what is the, does the Torah or the Talmud say anything about you really shouldn't have kids or these type of Jews shouldn't have kids or that they should limit the number that they have? Is there any, is, is there, is there anything? You worry about overpopulation? Well, no, no, no. Um, like I said, I'm, talking, I'm concerned about traits. And then the second question is, and, you know, I was just my sister and I, and then I only have a single daughter. So I'm always intrigued by individuals such as your family that had nine kids, or you have four, or, you know, I know of uh, non-Jews, Mormons that have six and ten kids. Is there a limit? Because it seems to me as though, just um, intellectually, it would be virtually impossible to give every child what it needs based on what you're discussing when the family size is six or nine or twelve or, or, or whatever. So I wonder if you could talk about, okay, so, about limitations. Okay, so there's a few sort of things here. So first of all, the Torah, the very first message in the Torah is be fruitful and multiply. Now remember, the Torah is a book of what? Instructions. Instructions primarily about how to become a better person, how to perfect yourself, how to, you know, how to train a human how to be a human. The first thing that's telling you is that you want to be a human, you have to have kids. Why? Perhaps because nothing will test you more than having children. And therefore nothing will be an impetus that you could use if harnessed properly to become a better person. Uh, that being said, the Torah requirement, the mitzvah of, of be fruitful and multiply, says the Talmud, means to have at least one boy and one girl, which is a little bit less than the replacement rate, but means that two parents, a male and a female, they should at least produce a male and a female. Um, that's the minimum. Uh, uh, that's one mitzvah. There's another mitzvah also uh, from elsewhere that says, L'shevas Yitzara, that the Almighty created the world to be ongoing. If we take a year off uh, or a decade off from, a uh, generation off from having kids, the world ceases to exist. Um, so that would, uh, according to the Talmud, also, there's also a mitzvah to have, uh, even beyond the core requirement of having two kids, there's still a mitzvah to having uh, more children. That being said, every child has a right to be born into a healthy family. And if the family is not healthy, it's not happy, they have no right to have children. Now, obviously, you tell that to people, say, whoa, whoa wait a minute, you know. Uh, there was this one comedian who says that he wants to give people, wants people to, like, have to take, um, you know, people take a road tests before they're able to drive. They should have to take a road test before they should have, you know, they can have children. Um, I'm not saying that. Um, obviously, I, in our society, everyone wants to have as many kids as they want. And you know, we look at the Chinese as being, you know, the Chinese rule is being very harsh, and you know, and and um, we don't believe in that, obviously. But children have a right to grow up in a healthy, healthy, happy, normal environment. So we don't believe in having kids and having kids and not knowing what to do with them. Um, so I, I don't know if your question was about contraception or. But yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, if the family cannot handle it, can't handle it financially. If they cannot handle it emotionally, if um, your assertion, which I will disagree with you, David, as much as I love you, I disagree that uh, there comes a limit. Um, uh, I think don't underestimate the capabilities of of uh, 
you know, of, of humans. Yes, uh, probably to go from zero to sixty uh, is a, is a bit of a stretch. But I know a family in Israel, actually uh, uh, Anglo parents, but they have seventeen children. And the kids are so well balanced, so healthy, remarkably healthy. Uh, I would argue that you, you'll be hard pressed to find a, a single child family in America that, that are, the kids are as healthy as, 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 as any one of these 17 kids. But the first 15 are difficult. After that, it's really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The first 15 kids are always the most difficult, yeah. Uh, but, but I, so your assertion that there has to be a limit, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, that being said, if the family can do it, they can do it emotionally, physically, right? You know, we don't believe in, in wearing our women or even our men down. You know, women traditionally as being the ones who are at the forefront of taking care of kids. You know, if they're up all night with kids and they, they go crazy, you know? So who says that we're trying to torture and self-flagellation? That's not a Jewish idea. We don't believe in that. Um, and like we said, that you have a requirement to have uh, a minimum of two children, that's the mitzvah. Um, if you're able to have handle them, if you're able to give them what they need, if you're able to build them, give them the confidence, to give them the love, to give them the attention, to give them the care, then all the more so. Uh, that, you said you had another question? That was, did I cover the question yeah. sufficiently? Okay, yes? Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think it's a, it's a good thing. Like parenting is a responsibility. If you're not up to the task, don't get yourself involved in it. It's not easy. It's and the payoff. If the, hopefully there will be a payoff, called nachas. Right? You'll have that payoff. Hopefully, you'll have the pleasure that comes associated with seeing your own children. You know, being you know being on the road. Like my grandfather once likened this to taking a candle. Parenting is taking a candle, an existing candle, and lighting another candle, you know? as And uh, the candle is fully lit when it's able to be on its own, so to speak. Yeah. So that takes a long time. The payout, the pleasure payout of parenting is 20, 30 years down the line. So a lot of people don't have the chops for it. Well, maybe then, if their kids are going to be neglected, maybe they shouldn't be involved in it. So. I didn't have a question. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's a famous question. Um, there's a few different answers. Um, a popular answer is that uh, the mitzvah, someone want to claim that women are, so to speak, circumcised already. Right? There's a certain element. I don't get to talk about what circumcision really is all about, but it's about a certain uh, element of uh, perfection that a male uh, needs to attain over life, but women just have it to begin with. You're going to a great start. <laughs> That's true. You know that 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 you know uh, circumcision. I can speak about it. For, we can have a whole class about it. But circumcision is on. Uh, it's basically kickstarting uh, what's going to be hopefully a life replete with uh, perfection. We're trying to perfect uh, oneself, and a certain element of that that women already have. Women you don't need, so to speak. So they're already like circumcised. Um, 
Okay, so that's uh, the Tenkemites Mary. So quickly, uh, uh, let us uh, quickly. Yeah. Um, so let's quickly run through the Ten Commandments once again, just quickly. Uh, thou shalt parent. You have, to, you have to parent. Thou shalt individualize your parent. Every kid's different. Uh, thou shalt parent with a long-term view. Don't trade short-term gains for the future. Think down the road. That has to be the attitude of the parent. Uh, planting and building. You want to instill themes that will develop over time. Thou shalt love your child and express it. That's the baseline for any parenting. Thou shalt boost your child's self-esteem. That's your primary goal, uh, in my opinion. Thou shalt teach by example. Not everything that we teach our children is something that we're going to tell them, we're going to preach to them. They're going to pick up most of it that they pick up on their own um, from the way we act. Thou shalt discipline the matter with consistency. Uh, not to, uh, don't demand too much. Don't push too hard. But whatever you do push... You, you, you insist by it, otherwise you become a lame duck parent. Uh, number eight, why is it scrolling down? What was number eight? Thou shalt collaborate with your partners. You have your spouse and the Almighty. They're with you together. Uh, thou shalt not make parenting an arena for your own negative uh, character traits. And thou shalt not be obstinate. And in summation, you know, uh, I think that parenting, while is a very difficult task, uh, I do think that there's a certain, you know, part of who we are and what how we're going to be defined in our lives is going to be by our like in all likelihood most of us our greatest contribution to the world is going to be our own children uh, so therefore it's important for us to make sure we put the time and the effort um, as difficult as it is and it is very difficult and no one's going to um if you think that you're going to just, oh, yeah, sure, we'll just you know put the kids on some sort of conveyor belt and just let it happen. It doesn't happen like that. It's very difficult, and there's lots, it's, it's lots of work. But ultimately, uh, and the pad is all the way down the line, but the pad is, is the greatest. And it kind, of, it kind of is an expression of who you are. It's a reflection of who you are as an individual. The culmination of that is going to be your children, and this is also going to be your contribution to the Jewish uh, people. right? Uh, because... You know, we're here because our parents you know, went through the hassle of having us and dealing with our own shenanigans. <laughs> so it's like your contribution to society, contribution to the Jewish people as well. And ultimately, it's like a fulfillment of who you are as a person. You know, we could judge a lot about how a parent, who a parent is and who they are and what they stood for in their lives by looking at their kids. So it's important for us to make sure that we take the time and the effort uh, that... Uh, that's necessary to ensure that um, our kids are uh, models for uh, admiration and uh, beacons for society and the community and the Jewish people. And I wish you all the best of luck.
I thank God for listening and kind of wish my wife was here because she would have a lot to add. Just say, oh, yeah, 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 of course. But then now you have to practice what you preach. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, lovely. We'll see everyone next week. Next week we have what's on schedule for next yes, week, Dan? Uh, what happens after you die? Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. <laughs> so that sounds like it's interesting as well. Is that right after <laughs> 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 Yeah, so uh, best of luck.